All right, you return your seats and let's turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. And we'll read the first five verses. And basically, center our thoughts on those first five verses as we consider that account. Genesis chapter 3, I commence reading. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's pray together, shall we? Our Father, we have just sung that you may tell us that old, old story. The story of Christ and his love. Lord, we do not need any other new story. We need the old, old, old story. And oh God, that we may not only long to hear the old, old story, but we may see its relevance in our lives today, and that we may see the need to heed to that same old story. And now as we come to look at your goodness, in particular as we look at Eve's failure to appreciate your goodness, Lord, we ask that you graciously speak to us and that this truth will be engraved upon our hearts and that they will make us to be better Christians, better stewards, better servants, and that we will seek to not fall into the trap or the sin of Eve by failing to appreciate and realize that you are a good God. Glorify yourself in the preaching of your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. All right, we are back continuing in our series of messages entitled The Unfurnished Truth of the Bible. And we've been doing so by sampling different passages or portions of scriptures and looking at the teachings of those scriptures, but also appreciating the major doctrines or teachings that we believe. And the goal is to help us realize that regardless of our circumstances or where we find ourselves in, the Bible still remains true. God still remains true to his word. And this is critical and crucial in days of wishy-wash, man-centered kind of Christianity, where the kind of Christianity being paraded is that which is man-centered and has nothing to do with God or what God says in his word. And then says need to 
get back to the Bible and sample some of those major teachings, some of those things we hold dear to, and some of the common portions of scriptures that are often distorted, or those portions of scriptures that reminds us or teaches us God's truth or God's attributes. And this is important because if we are going to be healthy Christians, we need to appreciate and accept what God says about himself. We must face the undistorted truth of the Christian faith. And this afternoon we'll be looking at a, an account that is very familiar to us. It's from Genesis 3, verse 1, all the way to verse 5. And as we look at God's goodness, we will be basically looking at it from Eve's failure to appreciate this attribute of God. Eve's failure to appreciate these attributes of God and therefore leading her into sin. And this is what we immediately need to recognize is that God's goodness is a foundational truth that shapes our perspectives of him. It shapes our thinking of him. It shapes of how we view his dealing with us. The things he forbids. It's as a result of his goodness for us. Now, the goodness of God is one of the attributes of God. And it's not just an attribute of God. It is also a description of his very essence. It's not just that God does good things. God in and of himself is good. That's true of him. He doesn't need to wake up and try to be good. He is good. And this truth must shape our perspective of him. And it is important because we are living in times when the standard of Christianity is based on our feelings or on the promises of the, the, the wealth and healthy kind of preaching, the promises of, of, of those men of God, who that when you are going through a negative period, or when you are going through trials, almost, they almost make you feel as if God has forgotten about you. And so therefore we... When we're going through trials, we easily forget that the goodness of God is a foundational truth that shapes our perspective towards God and his dealings with us in this life. The book of Genesis takes us back to the beginning of human history. The first two chapters gives us a, a perfect environment created by a perfect, good God. 
And in that perfect environment created by a perfect good God, we read that God will look at his creation and what he had made and he would say, this is good. And in that perfect environment, God placed man and woman, perfect man and woman, and gave them the gift of freedom. And to make freedom real, God gave the man and the woman real choices. The Bible doesn't tell us how long Adam and Eve were in the Garden of uh, Eden before the events of Genesis chapter 3. But in the account of the fall of Adam and Eve, we need to note that the devil first attacked this aspect of the character of God, namely his goodness. That's what he was aiming for. He knew that the moment he attacked this character of God's goodness and uh, Adam and Eve failing to appreciate this aspect of God's goodness, he would have carried the day and would have, the devil would have eas- was going to easily lead them away from God. And as I've said, the goodness of God is a character of God, but it's also a description of his very essence. He just, it, God does not just do good things. He is good. And so I would want us to look at that passage. And as we'll be looking at that passage we need to see that a failure for us to appreciate God's goodness can easily lead us into sin, into doubting God, and into changing our perspective of God. And before you open up that particular passage, a careful reading of the first two chapters shows us But God says everything he did was good. And the only thing he said which was not good was for man to be alone. But also he said the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They should not touch, rather they should not eat of that. And so we see that even when the serpent is cunningly questioning Eve, the aim was to attack this aspect of God, this character of God, so that by the time the serpent is finished, Eve will be brought to a point where she begins herself to doubt God's goodness, and therefore an easy target to be misled. But I want to repeat that the goodness of God is a fact which the Bible often testifies to. And every Christian must seek to understand this attribute of God. It's because it is this attribute of God 
that must help us to perceive all things, to view things through these lenses, that whatever I'm going through is as a result of a good God who does good things, allowing it to come to me. So I've said the goodness of God is a foundational truth that shapes our perspectives, or rather our perspective towards God and his dealings with us in life. So the first thing I'd like us to see as we look at Eve's failure to appreciate God's goodness is this, that doubting God's goodness makes it easy for you and I to disobey him. Doubting God's goodness makes it easy for God's children to disobey him. It makes it easy for you and I to disobey God. Verse 1 through to verse 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree of we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest, lest you die. Now already the serpent's question or words to Eve implied that God is keeping something from you. God, who claims to be good, is keeping something from you. And if he's keeping something from you, therefore, he is not a good God. And the strategy of the devil was to plant a seed of doubt in the woman. And so, when he began to conversate with the woman, Eve forgot about everything that God had said to Adam. That God would sit and look at his creation and he would say, this is good, this is good, this is good. And the goal was that Eve should not even think about God's generosity in saying you can eat of any tree in the garden. But except this one that is in the midst of the garden. And so you see Eve makes a half-hearted attempt to defend God. But in doing so, she misquotes God. Basically saying, this is what God had said. There's nowhere where God told Adam and Eve that they must not touch the tree. God said you must not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. But Eve... In a response, when you read verse 2 and verse 3, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the tree. 
We may, eat the, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. And again, she removes what God had said. You may eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. Any tree except this one. And then you see in verse 3, but God said you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst, in the midst of the garden. She even adds, you must not even touch it. And already, as she misquotes God, in trying to give a defense or a response to what the serpent was asking, already you begin to see there's a problem there. And the problem is ignorance of the word of God. And because of the ignorance of the word of God, Eve slowly began to doubt the goodness of God and therefore resulted in a disobedience to God. And what the devil was really saying to Eve is that God is being mean. God is being small-minded and is not at all as good and gracious as Adam and Eve thought. If he is a good God, surely, why stop you from eating of the tree that is in the midst of the garden? Why should God even stop you from doing that, from eating? And he directly attacked God. And what the devil was doing was to introduce assumptions that God's word was subject to our judgment. Especially saying, Eve, look, is this really what God said? Why can't you judge for yourself what God was really saying? Surely was God really saying that you must not eat of this tree? And that was very enticing to the woman. It was enticing to, to begin to entertain the thought that the, the word of God is subject to my judgment. And if I could simply uh, uh, arrive at what this means for me, then I can do what I want with what I think this means. And Eve concluded that if God was not acting in her, for her good or in her good, then why should she even obey him? Why not simply do that which she wants and act independent of God. Act independent of God in seeking her own good, the forbidden fruit. And this is what the devil tries to do to Christians. He's to begin to make you doubt God's goodness. It's what the devil did with the old faithful job. 
by making sure that everything that Job was enjoying was taken away and using Job's wife. That case go down and die. And basically, change Job that if God is really good, why are you suffering? Why are you going through this? Therefore, God is not as good as you thought he is. Now, doubting God's goodness makes it easy for you to fall into the trap of the evil one and sin against God. Though Adam and Eve had the spoken word of God, you and I today have the written word of God. And the principle is the same. Ignorance of God's word always leads to defeat. You must be aware of what God says. You must know what the scripture says, what God says about himself when it comes to his goodness. You must know that everything God forbids in his word is as a result of his goodness towards you. He knows better. And when he says, thou shalt not do this, it's not that God is limiting your freedom. God has been gracious and he has given you all things in Christ. And therefore, when he forbids or puts prohibitions, it's as a result of a good God being gracious and good to his children. Even when he allows trials and temptations, it's because he is a good God and he knows they are for your good. Someone has once said that if trials get to me, they would have gone through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the time they're getting to me, it means God knows that they are for my good. And I must accept them as painful as they might be. God knows that they are for my good. Because the source is a good God. The source of those trials are not from the evil one. They are not from a, a, a polluted source. They are from a God who is good and who is full of goodness. And therefore, everything he dispenses to his children are oozing with his goodness. But this we must not forget. Doubting God's goodness makes it easy for you and I to disobey him. Because we reduce everything to our level and begin to really say, but God, if you are good, if you are there, why this, why that, why have you denied me this? And yet, if you are to count your blessings, you will be amazed at what 
the Lord has done. Eve's failure to appreciate God's goodness brought about doubt and led her to sin. Doubting God's goodness makes it easy for us to sin. But secondly, we see that the devil first changes our perspective of God before leading us to sin. He changes our perspective of God before leading us to sin. He changes how we view God's goodness before leading us into sin. Again, when you read verse 3 and verse 4, let's begin from verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. Having planted in the woman's mind the seed of doubt, the serpent went on to change Eve's viewpoint of God's goodness. And then the serpent was able to persuade her to disobey God by eating the forbidden fruit. Having planted in her mind the seed of doubt about the goodness of God, about the plans of God, the devil now went further, using her lack of understanding of God's word, God's instructions, and changed her viewpoint of this great God. And what you see is that when you read in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, the author Moses uses two names for, of God. There is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, and then Elohim, God as a creator. They are throughout, and, but when you get to Genesis 3, the serpent does not use the word for God, Yahweh, but rather Elohim, God the creator. And basically saying to the woman, did the creator say you cannot do this? Because the serpent was so crafty. The moment he was going to use the term Yahweh, most likely or probably, in all probability, Eve would have realized that this name means God is a covenant keeper. And if God has said we must not eat of the fruit in the midst of the garden, perhaps she would have kept, she would have kept away. But the serpent was using the name of God 
a covenant-keeping God. And basically saying, is this what the Creator said? Is this what your Creator said? Is this what your Creator said? Basically trying to create this pattern or this rhythm in Eve's mind. Constantly move, swinging between creation and Creator, creation and Creator. And therefore forming into Eve's mind this notion that if God is really the Creator, then why is it that He's forbidding me from anything He has created? And was very crafty in ensuring that he changes Eve's perspective towards this great God. Eve, rather the serpent, in his dialogue with Eve was trying to show Eve that look, your, your creator is not as good as you think. He's keeping something away from you. And in this moment, Eve would have really paused and looked or thought of God's generosity. She would have thought to herself that standing in the garden, looking at all of God's creation, everything that were in the garden, all were pointing to the goodness of God. Her own creation was as a result of God's goodness. Her stay in the garden was as a result of God's goodness. But the serpent changed her perspective of God before finally she was plunged into sin, or she plunged herself into sin. This is the lesson we need to learn. The, the evil one, sin, tries to change our viewpoint, our perspective of God's goodness before leading us to actually commit the sin. The devil tries to paint a fuzzy or a wrong picture of God to us. So that once he paints a wrong picture of God to us, it is easy now to throw us into the path of sin or to throw sin before us. And because our perspective of God has been changed, we easily rush for that which is attractive and thinking that is what is good. And the reason 
is that we often forget to get to the scriptures and ask ourselves, what does the Bible say? When, God, when the Bible says God is good, does it mean that I will not go through trials? Does it mean that I will not go through difficult patches in life? And if we're being biblical, we will realize that God is good in all things. He is goodness himself. The goodness of God is his attribute. And as all other attributes of God, they do not change. And so the goodness of God is not dependent on your circumstance or my circumstance. The goodness of God is dependent on God himself who does not change. And so even in those moments of wrestling with life's issues, God is still good. He is still good. And what a good God forbids must be evil. Because he's a good God. And what a good God commands must be good. He is a good God. And we must know the truth found in his word. We must know the scriptures. We must understand the scriptures. And this will help us to avoid the devil's uh, temptation to change our perspective of God. Every day is tempting us to change our perspectives of God. And he does this by casting doubt and slowly changing our perspectives of God. Sin changes our viewpoint of God. Because sin seeks to attack every attribute of God. And when you are living in sin, you convince yourself that this is what is good for you because sin has convinced you that it is what you need and it is attacking every attribute of God, including this aspect of God's goodness. Sin is so terrible that one act of Adam and Eve brought about depravity and immeasurable suffering to the whole human race. It's a seriousness of sin. And the devil knew that if I could attack and change this perspective of this woman when it comes to God, I would have carried the day. 
And, and this is the sad bit about the, the modern day preaching where God is simply judged or God's goodness is gauged when all is well in life. When everything is going well for you, then you can say, oh, God is good. Or as the members would say, lesa musuma. Because all is well with you. No trials. Your health is good. Everything is going all well with you. And therefore you conclude, because of this, God is good. And yet you forget that God does not change. So everything you go through, trials and temptation, he still remains a good God. This Eve failed to maintain in a, in a theology of God and the goodness of God. And the devil managed to change our perspective of God. And the third thing we see is that the devil always tries, rather, the devil always attacks God's goodness. Certain attacks is always on God's goodness because he knows this is a foundational truth that shapes our view of God. This is what now you see in verse 5 where I say, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So now he's saying, finally, I've gotten Eve where I want her to be. And now let's attack this goodness of God. He's created doubt in her and is now changing a perspective of God. And basically saying, look, you will not surely die. When God says you will die, that's not true. The truth is this. What God doesn't want you to know is that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And you see as Eve is talking to the serpent, she remained engrossed, flushed with excitement on the possibility of being like God. And the serpent encouraged by Eve's adjustments to what God had said. He now plunges his attack on God himself, attacking God's goodness and casting an ugly light before the goodness of God. God was cast in an ugly light. But look, God knows that you'll be like him. So he doesn't want you 
to be like him. And according to the evil one, the threat of death was nothing more than simply a scare tactic of God to put Adam and Eve in their place in the garden. And what the devil is really saying, look, God is being despotic. He's being uh, 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 authoritarian in his, in his dealings with you. God is obviously jealous of you guys that you might ascend too high. Being like him, knowing good and evil, and therefore, if you know good and evil, and you're at the same level with God, why do you need God? You won't need him. Because you will be like him. And this was an incredible attack on the goodness of God in light of the fact that in the midst of a garden there were thousands of the goodness of creation. And not to mention the gift that God had given to Eve, the gift of companion, Adam. And all these were as a result of God's goodness. And so Eve diminished God's words, added to God's word, and then softened what God had said. That in the day that we eat of it, instead of saying what God had said, you will surely die, she said, lest you die. Saying that there's a probability that we may die. When God had actually said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Or dying, you will be dying. But she sort of began to soften what God had said. So that the word of God do not sound harsh in the ears of the serpent. And all this was Eve encouraging the evil one to attack God's goodness. To attack God's goodness. Equality with God was attractive to Eve. Being like God was something that was attractive. Knowing good and evil was something that was attractive and therefore she took of the fruit. Thinking that if I could only reach out, eat of the fruit, I will be like God. I will be wise like God. And I will be at the same level with God. Isn't this what we at times go through. Trying to be like God. We are saying today, no, no, there's never been a time when I've tried to be like God. But how many times have you said to yourself, if only I knew 
what I'm going through, or if only I know how this will end, then I'll be able to do this and that. Basically saying, if I was all-knowing, I'll know what to do in this situation. And when the Bible says, trust me, God is calling to all of us, trust me. I know the future. I've planned all things. I have plans for you. I have paved a passage for you. And when you find yourself in those moments when you do not understand what you are going through, when life seems to be caving in, you whisper to yourself, if only I knew how this thing would end. If only I had a bit of knowledge, I would have known how to do with this. Basically saying, if only I was like God to some level, I'll be able to deal with this aspect of my life. You forget what God says. The just lives by faith. But you do not know what tomorrow holds. You do not know what lies ahead. But there is this that you know. You know who holds the future. And it is him you will trust. You don't need to know answers or how things will turn out to be. What is enough for you is that I know God and I've come to experience him in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and he has given me his spirit that guides me and guards my path and he has given me his word and he has revealed his attributes in his word and he has given it to me to remind me when in doubt to remind me when I'm afraid to remind me when I'm confused that there is such a being called God but like Eve we tend to think God is keeping something from us He's not a good God after all. And you doubt God's word. You doubt God's goodness. You doubt God's sovereignty. And the only thing is you sinning against God. The promises of scriptures are no longer attractive to you. Because you've been convinced by the devil that God is not good after all. If he was a good God, I would not be going through such things. And you know why we need to get back? You see why we need to get back to the scriptures? They remind us of what God says about himself. His goodness, his goodness is not dependent on outward circumstances. He is good in and of himself. The goodness of God it's a foundational truth that must shape our view of God 
our view of his dealing with us and our view of life on earth. Life has its challenges, but God is good. He is originally good. He is good himself. He is essentially good. And he's not only good, but his goodness itself. Our goodness is an added quality to us. But for God, it is his essence, his very nature. He is infinitely good. And in him, there is an infinite flood, an infinite ocean of goodness. You cannot exhaust his goodness. He is eternally and immutably good. For he cannot be less good. There can be no addition to his attribute of goodness. And every time we hear the gospel call, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must be reminded that the core of the gospel is as a result of God's goodness. The core of the gospel can be rightly said to be a mirror of divine goodness. In the gospel, there's a special kind of goodness, a goodness which is the spring of our redemption, our salvation. It is a goodness that is miraculous and a goodness that uh, caused the Father to willingly expose the Son to life on earth, to those difficulties on, in this world, and ultimately to death on the cross so that in his death, we may find freedom for sinful rebels as ourselves. He is the great end. Rather, in him, this great goodness was demonstrated in God giving us his beloved son and letting the son die on the cross. Jesus is the fullness of the goodness of God. And anything outside Christ falls short of that goodness. Anything outside Christ falls short of the goodness of God. We who are Christians must rejoice in the fountain of goodness, Christ himself. 
whether we find ourselves in trials or difficult times, remember, we serve a good God. And this God has demonstrated his love for us by giving us his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he withholds certain things from us as we journey to heaven, it's not because he's become bad or he's changed. He still remains good. And those prohibitions, those injunctions, those withdraw withdrawals of the things you desire, it's because a good God has seen it fit. And therefore, he says, this is not good for you. And as we go into the week, may the goodness of God be a foundational truth that will shape our perspective of God and how we view his dealings with us in our lives. We must not be like Eve who failed to appreciate the goodness of God and therefore sinned against God. And as we sing in closing that hymn, Yes, God is good. Look at your life this past week and tell yourself, even that thing that disturbed me in the course of the week, God still remains good. And I worship him and I'll proclaim him to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we do acknowledge that this foundational truth is always one that we wrestle with many times. There are times when we fail to really accept and appreciate your goodness. And we view this in light of our present circumstances, our present sufferings, our present temptations. Our Father, we pray that you help us to accept this truth and be willing to live out in the full radiance of this truth as we save you in this rebellious world. We pray, dear God, that you help us that even in those times of confusion to remind ourselves you are a good God and goodness is your essence. But also pray that help us that our lives may be channels of radiating your goodness to those around us, that they too may come to the fountain of goodness, the Lord Jesus Christ. Our Father, we pray that you'll be gracious to us and go before each one of us for Jesus' sake. Amen.